Yes, do please be seated. Uh, slight hesitation there about whether we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, but we got there and then. That's a relief. <laughs> That's very reassuring. It would, be, um, it would be easy, wouldn't it, to wax lyrical about the problems of the church today, whether we're thinking of the church globally or even the local church. And it's great to hear from Jason and Margaret about one particular uh, initiative um, that God is doing uh, through uh, this church here at Holy Trinity. With the same thought in mind, I've been asking some other members of our various congregations, uh, some younger, some older, about ways in which they, uh, just over the past week I've been asking them, about ways in which uh, they would say that God has blessed this church, things that they would say that God has done for this church. Now I'm just waiting for my... Uh, screen to light up and we'll just have a look at f- a few of the responses that I've been given thank you we were there for a moment yeah so what has God done for us in the uh, opinion experience of uh, a range of our church members that I've asked over the past week, um, who have spoken to me or written to me about faithful, challenging, uplifting Bible teaching and application. I've been helped, says one of our church members, I've been helped in my daily life to remain true to God's word. Great teaching and encouragement of youngsters through cipher. Relationships between young and old have been mentioned. Loving and supportive Christian community. Individuals, and here one or two names were mentioned, but I'm leaving the names out for uh, fairly obvious obvious reasons, but individuals who are servant-hearted and always serving. Leaders who care for individuals, and I will mention one name at this point, um, uh, Will Warren, our outgoing curate, was mentioned particularly for the burden that he has uh, borne Uh, so effectively and joyfully, especially over the past year. The drive and gifting behind English Plus. The leading of the ongoing prayer life of the church, especially during these all-important meetings of our church council over the past year. God's love, somebody says, shines through people's acts of kindness each week. Our office staff, (laughs) always efficient, even when under pressure. I would certainly say amen, well, to all of these points, but including uh, that one. And one of our younger members points out that everyone is there for everyone else when in need. A great deal to be thankful for. We turn from our situation, and yes, we could talk probably endlessly about the challenges and perhaps the problems that we may feel we currently experience but we remind ourselves we have so much to be thankful for. We turn from our situation to a very different church situation. The situation of uh, a Christian church in a place called Corinth. There's a larger map with Corinth uh, highlighted for you. So it's there on just on what's called the Isthmus, that bridge of land between the Peloponnese in the southwest and the mainland of Greece. One of the most important, one of the largest uh, cities in Greece, indeed one of the most important cities in the Roman Empire. 
Estimates of its population at the time of the New Testament vary from, uh, but they all in the hundreds of thousands. It was a cosmopolitan city, um, and uh, it was a byword, Corinth, for immoral, I- immorality. Uh, one of the things that would happen is that sailors would reach that ridge of land, the Isthmus of Corinth, and while their boats were being carried across uh, to, the, uh, to the next um, bit of, uh, of seawater, they would, um, as sailors do, make their way to the nearest town, Corinth, and there they would visit the red light district. In fact, Corinth was pretty much consisted of red light district. Uh, there's a picture of uh, part of ancient Corinth with uh, one of its many temples because it was a pagan center for the worship of many pagan gods, both Roman and, uh, and Greek. And in the background there, there's that rock there is Acro-Corinth, on top of which was, had been a temple devoted to the goddess Af- Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And that's love in the sense of lust. In such a place, in about 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, so about AD 52, Paul had visited, the Apostle Paul had visited, stayed there for a year and a half, and established a Christian community that met in various house churches around the city of Corinth. About three years later, Paul, while in Ephesus, wrote what we call the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians. In fact, it wasn't the first letter he wrote to them. He refers in that letter to an earlier one, and we believe that yet another letter comes in between what we call first and second Corinthians. So he's in correspondence with them. One of the things that really struck me is just how young this church was. Three years old and established in a pagan and highly immoral culture. Just think about that. Uh, No doubt many reasons why Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians, but two stand out in particular. Firstly, as we... uh, Uh, find out uh, from later on in chapter 1, he had received a report that really concerned him um, from um, members of of uh, the household of a a woman called Chloe. And uh, many problems were mentioned to him. But also the Corinthians had written to him, it seems, with various questions. And Paul addresses these questions, particularly in chapter 7 to 11 of the letter. Now, if any Christian knows one thing about the Corinthian church, they know it was a church with problems. And you're quite right. It was a thorough mess. As we go through 1 Corinthians, we find that they were divided. What pictures probably is that each house church uh, seemed to favor one or other Christian leader. Some favoured Paul because he'd founded them. Others favoured a man called, a Christian preacher called Apollos because he was eloquent and learned. Uh, Others favoured Peter because he'd really walked and talked with the Lord, hadn't he? 
And others, the super spiritual ones, said, we don't follow any human leader at all. We're only followers of Jesus Christ. So there are factions, divisions. They were undisciplined in the sense that they resisted Paul's leadership, Paul's apostleship. They were disorderly, I mean, actually drunk and disorderly sometimes when actually holding services of Holy Communion. Read about that in 1 Corinthians. They were immoral to the point of incest. They were muddled. Some of them didn't believe in a final resurrection of the dead. And Paul addresses that in chapter 15. And they were arrogant. They knew that they were gifted. They were capable. They knew a lot. And they took great pride in what they could do. So they were in really a pretty thorough mess. So don't be surprised then if as uh, Jason, if I can just call Jason forward, yes, thank you. Uh, if as Jason now reads to us uh, from the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, uh, the first nine verses and page 1144, don't be surprised with all of this knowledge that Paul has about the problems in the Church of, Eng- uh, uh, Church of England. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> uh, Freud would have been happy with that one. <laughs> Don't be surprised. The Church in, in Corinth as well. Um, if he comes out with all guns blazing, you're, we're expecting to really start off by having a real go at them. Don't be surprised if that's what you now hear as Jason reads to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. Thank you, Jason. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge. Because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. This is the word of the Lord. So he didn't do it, did he? He didn't come out with all guns blazing. I suppose, in a sense, the central thing that Paul says in that passage is, I always thank God for you. And as we just look in a little bit more detail at these first nine verses of this chapter, I want us to be asking why. (laughs) Why didn't he start off by having a real go at them? He knows what the problems are there. Why does he leave all those for a bit? And he expands uh, on this idea of being thankful to God for them. Think about why he might have done that. I mean, is he being ironic? Does he actually mean the opposite of what he says? He says, I'm thankful, but actually I've got nothing to thank God for, uh, at all for you. Well, no, he's not being ironic. 
Is he building them up, in only to, if, if only to knock them down again? No. Is he using what we might call these days a praise sandwich? Have you heard of that? Where if you're giving feedback to somebody, like as a teacher to one of my students, sooner or later I'm going to have to um, uh, give the student some correction and this kind of thing. But I'm going to um, start with some encouragement, start with the positive, and perhaps try and end with the positive as well, if I can think of any. Is he doing that? Well, there might be an element of that as well. But I think there's more going on with this utter thankfulness that he has for such a problem group of Christians. Let's just have a look together. So there's the question why. And be thinking uh, about why Paul is, is, is approaching them in this kind of way. There's the background that Paul is going to get round to addressing He's not ignoring these things. He's going to get round to them pretty soon. (laughs) But in the foreground, he's putting the following things. Do you see? He says in verse 2, they have been sanctified and called to be holy. Sanctified means set apart for God's purpose and called to be holy. Also in verse 2, he says that they are, have been co- sanctified and called together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. He points out that in God's good grace, they are united with all Christians everywhere. Thirdly, he says that they have been enriched, verse 5, enriched in every way. And he picks out two of the things that they were most proud of, their speaking and their knowledge. They have been gifted, and Paul will go on to talk about uh, a whole range of gifts uh, with which the Corinthian church has been endowed in chapters 12 to 14. They have been empowered. Do you see that in verse 7? Excuse me, verse 8. He will keep you strong to the end. They will be declared blameless. God is keeping them strong now in order for them to be declared blameless on the day of judgment, the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so therefore, they are secure. God is keeping them. Do you see their past, present and future? What God has done for them in the past... Um, um, uh, uh, empowered them and, 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 and so on and given them all these riches what God will do for them in the future um, on the day of uh, our Lord Jesus Christ and what he, God is doing for them now in the meanwhile keeping them safe and strong now do you see what Paul is doing here so many of these things that God has done for them and given to them are actually addressing <laughs> the problems that they have. So were they div- are they divided at the moment? Yes, but God has united them, not only with one another, but with all Christians everywhere. Um, are they immoral? Ah, but God has sanctified them and made them holy. Um, are, they, uh, are they muddled? Yes, but God has set a day when all men and all women will come before the judgment seat of Christ. In so many ways, what Paul is saying about what God has done for them is beginning to address already 
the problems they have and say, your problems are addressed by what God has already given you in Christ. But there's something else going on here. I wonder if you noticed Paul's holy obsession in this chapter. I did a word cloud on this passage, which shows in biggest type the words which are used most frequently. And you probably worked out what that word cloud might look like, but just in case you haven't got round to it, that's what it looks like. Paul goes on and on about Jesus Christ the Lord. He is obsessed with Jesus. And so there again is the answer already to the, to the problems in Corinth and in other churches too. What God has done for them in Christ. And it isn't just that Paul simply repeats the name Jesus as a mantra. I mean, you know, like that mythical song that Christians are supposed to have sung, you know, where the words go up on the screen, Jesus, 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 repeat twice, and then at the bottom, words copyright. (laughs) No, what Paul does with the name of Jesus is to show all the different things, the myriad of things that God has done for them and for us in Christ Jesus. So it's not simply a mantra, but an elaboration of the riches of God in Christ through his spirit. So then, in the light of this, the Corinthian church, a church with huge problems that Paul will address, he will not ignore them, but he front loads the whole thing with, you have been blessed, richly blessed by God. In light of what that and what Paul says here, what kind of church are we at Holy Trinity called to be? Well, first of all, I would suggest leadable. The Corinthians were resisting Paul's apostleship, resisting uh, apostleship, uh, resisting his leadership. He'll address that in uh, chapter nine. I'm not apostle. At least I'm your apostle, he says. Um, and let's recall the, the great problem with leadership is that people who don't want to be led and neither want to lead either make wonderful roadblocks. Are we a people who are willing to grow leaders, continue to grow leaders among us, and also to be led by those whom God places, has placed among us as leaders? And leaders who will both encourage, as Paul does here, but also challenge, as he will do later on. Secondly, this passage encourages us to be hungry. I almost said greedy for everything that God has already done for us in principle and has for us now. Therefore, says Paul to this troubled church, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed, indicating to me that the spiritual gifts, all spiritual gifts, are made available by God in their entirety until Jesus returns. Now, where are all those spiritual gifts in our church? They have caused discussion, debate, controversy in the past. We cannot afford, in the light of what Scripture says, simply to hide these 
riches under the mattress for fear of, well, just out of fear. God's word, God's spirit instruct us otherwise. Leadable, hungry, but also, as I pointed out already, this passage teaches us to be focused. I almost said obsessed with Jesus Christ. Over the coming uh, few months, until uh, um, uh, Richard James, our new rector, arrives and gets settled in, um, us lay preachers, Nigel, myself, Margaret, Jason, Alex, uh, Matt and others, will have quite a lot of work to do and quite a lot of things to say to you as we will preach quite a lot and lead services for you. I hope that your expectation is neither that we'll simply go over old ground repetitively over and over again, nor that we simply try to entertain you with novelties. As I see it, our task as teachers and preachers of of God's word is to take what may be well-known truths to many of you and by God's, with God's help and by God's spirit to make them live, to give them their impact for you as individuals and for us as a church. Pray, please, for your preachers that the word may be made fresh. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we do thank you for your many blessings to us, uh, the wonderful gifts that we have known and experienced and rejoice in. But you have more for us. We pray that we would not shun dealing with whatever difficulties, problems, debates, uncertainties and anxieties that we may have at this time but we may rest with what, in what you have already given us, such riches in Jesus Christ, and uh, move onwards and forwards and upwards in the coming weeks and months. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.